Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Those of you that are joining us online, we're blessed to have you with us today. Boy, we're having a good morning already. Everybody excited? Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord. All right. Thank you for those songs this morning. All right, I'm tired this morning. I, uh, boy, I didn't sleep much last night and, you know, just, I don't know, excited about life, whatever it is. Have you ever had those times in life where you just feel like you, um, you just get tired of trying to be the voice of righteousness? You know what I'm talking about? I was telling Debbie this the other day, the last Sunday actually, sometimes I feel like, at least this is just me, and I'm sure you feel this way yourselves, but uh, sometimes you just feel like you swing the sword and 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 it feels like you're just not getting anywhere. You know what I mean spiritually? I'm not talking about cutting the bushes down in the backyard, okay? You can see some progress with that at least. But a lot of times it just feels like with what we try to be in this life, it just seems like darkness is gaining more and more ground. Right? And I'm just, I'm not talking about anything in particular. Certainly all the events of this last week add to that. And I guess that really puts the icing on the cake. But uh, just life, just the world is just growing more and more dark. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, so anyway, let me, let me back up and make a couple of announcements here. Just to the, invite those of you who've not been a part of our Disciples in Action, we want you to come. Uh, we started last Wednesday night. Our Awana program, that's for children, started last week from little guys all the way up through eighth grade. And so that started last week and I had a good number of people, good number of kids. I think they had 12 in there, which is awesome for us. Praise the Lord for that. And I had a good number in the adult class, Pastor Scott's meeting with his group. And so uh, God is doing great things. So we want you to come join us, if you will. Um, just mentioned this to the early service a second ago. I got an update from Marilyn Winky. Uh, last night uh, that Jim passed away yesterday. Uh, those of you who remember Jim in Maryland uh, were long time here. I guess, well, I say long time, several years certainly. And uh, so I just promised her that we'd be praying for her this morning. You know, Jim uh, suffered with dementia and uh, pretty radical, pretty challenging these last, uh, this last year really. And so it's a blessing in a lot of ways. I'm sure she would say that. Certainly sad. Uh, but, but Jim knew the Lord, and there's no question about that. They serve faithfully uh, the Lord in a lot of different ways. And so just want to make mention of that for you. Honey, you want to give an update? Come up here and give an update on Frankie right quick. Somebody was asking about that earlier. Asked my wife to give an update on our brother-in-law, Frankie. Come right up here. Um, have a microphone. Step over. Well, here. Just talk into my mic right here. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Come over so people can see you on the screen. You can't, you're not going to be able to take that off. No pressure. I took my scarf off and everything. Um, Frankie's not doing well. Uh, he had uh, been sent home on Tuesday, and all of that was due to insurance. They released him from sheltering arms, and we had hoped that um, he would make strides in the positive direction in the sense of uh, his behavior but he really made lots of strides in the negative direction. And so he was really um, unkind to my sister and to their nephew, or, or their, our nephew, their son. Um, he would not take his medicine. He wouldn't stay in bed. He fell out of bed uh, the second night he was home and my sister had to get Jacob up to help get him up out of the floor, but he was like fighting them. So 
Um, he was um, trying to be real careful what I say. He was he was saying things that were um, hurtful, and so uh, we know that a lot of that is the brain injury, if not all of it is the brain injury. So, but it was to the point where Brenda couldn't handle. Brenda and Jacob could not handle him, and so home health came in. I think Wednesday morning, and they said, you can't do this because we can't do this. We can't take care. He won't cooperate. He won't let us do anything. And so home health called 911, and they took him to Lynchburg General, which is where he is now. They're waiting for, again, for insurance approval to take him back to Sheltering Arms, which is in Richmond. Um, um, Frankie's niece on, the, on his side, the family, sat with him yesterday in the ER all day, and then Frankie has a best friend um, who's sitting with him today in the ER. And so um, Brenda has been um, stretched to her limit, and I told her, you know, you've had a, such a great testimony throughout this whole thing that the enemy's not gonna leave you alone. So you have to understand that, and you just have to know that greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And so she's really had a tough couple of days. It's been a difficult thing for her. She did not want to be the one who uh, put him back in the hospital, and so thankfully, <clears throat> home health made that decision for her. So, uh, we think he's going to go back to sheltering arms tomorrow, and um, then we'll just take it from there. But just pray for all of them. I want a special shout out to my sister-in-law Leslie, who uh, works at Lynchburg General, and she was able to, to just provide some tremendous help. Like they wouldn't let Brenda go in the ER because of COVID, and so um, Leslie was able to help that along. But I'll get her in trouble by saying that. Um, and so Brenda was able to get in to sit with Frankie there. So just keep praying. Thank you for praying anyway, always, and all that you've done throughout this whole time. And we'll um, give you good news updates as we get them. Okay, thanks. All right, yeah, thank you for, for praying. So in light of that, let's just go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started, okay? Lord, we thank you for today, this privilege that we have to join together. We always want to be careful to remember that and to remember your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for bringing us through another week. You've not promised us anything other than this very moment. And so we thank you for the breath that we draw even now. Lord, uh, thank you for hearing our prayers, even the things that we don't understand how you're answering them, even the things that you say no to. Lord, we thank you because we know you're a good God and that you love us. And Lord, as we uh, enter into a time of looking into your word in a lot of various ways, we pray that you'd open our minds, that we would hear you, and that we'd be encouraged. Lord, to remember the great truths that you've promised to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, what I was alluding to and getting at was that often there are times in our spiritual lives where we feel like it's just almost seemingly a futile attempt to keep going. I don't know if you've ever felt that way or not, but there are just times where you're like, this is just too hard. And it's just not working. And so, we're just going to give in. Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants. And so, we don't want to do that. And so, as we look at our country, and that's pertinent to us right now, we just can ask the question, how much darker can things get? And again, I'm not talking about just a particular subject. I'm talking about just the accumulation of things that we're watching. And we see this happening over and over again. And so I know a lot of you are struggling a lot with just life and a lot of various things. And so this morning, or late, late yesterday, mostly this morning, the Lord kind of changed my heart again, and so this became one of those Sunday mornings where I stand up in front of you and say, we're not going to look in Matthew like I said we were going to last week, and we're going to just do this God's way, because uh, this is all about Him, right? So we'll do it that way. So 
I wanted to share with you some things this morning that I hope will help you to be encouraged. Often in our spiritual lives, we feel like, again, we're losing the battle. But can I just say to us this morning, we've not lost anything. And I I just want to emphasize that kind of as the main theme here is that we have not lost anything. And I want to share with you some reasons why that's true uh, this morning. So I hope this makes sense to you. I jotted it down really quickly this morning when I got to my office, and we'll see what God does with it, okay? Number one, what I hope you will remember is that this is not your home. Nothing I'm going to say this morning is going to be rocket science, uh, but, you know, as I said to the early service, uh, our bodies are built in such a way where we just need to have constant reminders, And as much as we hear the truth, we need to be reminded again and again and again because we get lost in the details of what's happening. And it's so easy to do that. And so, number one, I felt like God was saying to me, remember this, Bruce, this is not your home. No matter what happens in this life, this is not your home. And we have this on good authority because God himself said this in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not Albemarle, it's not green, it's not orange, it's not wherever you're from in this life. Our citizenship is in heaven. You know, many of us have these passports that we get to and fro on, right? Uh, Wouldn't it cool that your passport says heaven? Can you imagine handing that to a gate person at the terminal? (laughs) They scan it. (laughs) Where are you you from? Heaven, yeah, that's right. (laughs) They really think you're nuts, wouldn't they? But that's what the Lord says. Listen, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you? Aren't you waiting for Jesus? That's what Paul says. He's including us in that. He's including the church in Philippi. We're eagerly waiting for Jesus to come. To the church in Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and are of God's household. Many of you can identify with what it means to be a part of a loving, gracious household. Some of you cannot, and and, and I'm sorry for that. But the good news is, is that no matter what your life was like here in a negative sense, if you were one that didn't have a good household, God says, hey, you're a part of my household. You're a part of my family. And don't ever forget that. God has come to make us a part of his family. Jesus would say in John 18, my kingdom is not of this realm. This is when he stood before Pilate as he was just uh, hours away from being uh, crucified. And so Pilate said to him, Oh, so you are a king. And Jesus says, You say correctly that I am a king. For this reason I've been born. And for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Now, he wasn't talking about being born as if he were some created God. That's not the case. He's saying, Physically I'm here because I was born by an earthly mother. And that's why I've come into the world to testify to this very truth. And everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Listen, if you are of God, you're hearing what the Lord is saying, right? And that's why your life is the way it is. That's why you're the person that you are. So number one, I think in in challenging times, and this is, I guess, kind of a part B or a part two of last week's message, and maybe that's just what the Lord wanted me to do for this week, um, which really throws me off my rocker. I mean, I'm just more of a, this is what we're going to do as far as sermons go. But again, God likes to change things at the last minute. I think that all just proves it's him. Um, He wants us to remember this is not our place 
Don't get caught up in this world. Don't get caught up in the citizenship of this world as if this is all there is. Now, in a negative sense, and this is the part that I don't like to talk about, a lot of people don't like to talk about this, but it is truth from God anyway, and that is we are to remember that this world will not get better. It's not going to get better. I've known lots of people. I've had friends of mine who are believers in Christ who believe that things are going to get better. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God says. In fact, in 1 John 5.19, John says, Through the power of the Spirit, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. At least for now. This is Satan's realm. This is his territory. In John 14, 30, I will not speak much more with you. This was Jesus talking to the disciples. And he says, I'm not going to tell you much more, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Jesus is very clearly identifying the fact that there is a ruler to this world, and that's Satan. Satan is the one who's occupying this territory as the ruler right now. That doesn't mean that God is not in full control, though. He has left him in control Satan in control for now. John 12, 31. Judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That no matter how dark the days become, Satan will be cast out. His days are numbered. His days are limited. Listen, I'm simply saying these things because I need in my heart to remember that when we spend our lives proclaiming righteousness, that it's not a futile attempt, that God has already done the work. And here's powerful proof of what God has done. Sadly, we need to remember, well, I should say sadly, but we need to remember that sadly the world is spiritually blind. That's a very important thing for us to remember at times when life is very troubling. You and I look into the world and we say, doesn't this make sense to you? And the world looks at us and says, no. This is what makes sense to me. And then we have conflict because we don't understand that why they don't understand and they don't understand why we don't understand. And so we have conflict. But God says, listen, here's why they don't understand. is because they're blind. They don't know. They don't see. God has not given them the ability to see. And we have to remember that. As we're living out our righteousness and the world continually pulls back or pushes against us, we have to remember they don't see the truth that we see. 2 Timothy 2, Paul said this, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You see, that comes from God. And they may come to their senses. You hear God saying? That they come to their senses. Now, if God says the world needs to come to their senses, then there must be truth to that, right? I'm not saying this. This is God saying this that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. You realize the world is in a snare held by Satan. He is the controller of this world for now. In that sense, God is the ultimate controller. He's not going to abdicate his throne. But Satan is holding the world in his snare is what the Lord is saying. 
But the world doesn't know it. The world is blind to this. Having been held captive by him to do his will. That's a very important statement. All of what we see out here in our culture is purposeful, not on the person's part. They think it is, but they're really blind. The master behind it all is Satan himself. He is the one who's doing this. And they're held in his power. And that's what the Lord is saying to us through Paul. And so we need to remember these things. We're not of this world. This is not our home. And the world is spiritually blind. That brings a sense of sadness, doesn't it? That's what I meant earlier. Do you feel the sadness behind that? As we look at the world and you begin to understand much more clearly why the prophets preached the way they did, why the letters of the New Testament were written the way they were, why the Lord came himself. Because he knew that the unsaved world is blind. They don't see. They do not see. And we need to remember that when we're living in this world. They don't see. Continuing kind of on that same theme of negativity, I suppose, but yet truth, is that we need to remember that we're going to be persecuted by this blind world. The world does not want us to tell them what needs to change. They're not asking for us to tell them. They do not want unsolicited advice. But you and I are called to be lights or to be examples so that the world will hear the word of the Lord and their hearts will be open. John 15, if the world hates you, and beloved, listen, the world, if it doesn't hate you yet, will hate you. How do I know that? Because that's what the Lord says. The more you grow in godliness, the more you become a reflector of the glory of Christ in your daily life. That's raising your children, saying a prayer at night, whatever it is that the world begins to take notice of, the world will more and more hate you. But Jesus says, if the world hates you, remember this, it hated me first. And that's why it hates you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. And that's true, right? For those people who are part of the world system and love the things of the world, the world doesn't say anything negative to those people because they're a part of the world system. But when you step out of bounds of the world system, then the world has something to say about it. But the Lord says, but I chose you out of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is not a conditional if, then, or but. This is, you belong to me, therefore you will be persecuted. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Do you hear that? The world does what the world does because the world does not know God. And so the world just does according to the one that they do know, which is Satan. Which in reality they don't know because he's blinded them in his snare. He's not telling the world, I'm your father. He's hiding in the background. But he's using their sinfulness against them in order to cause them to do the things that their sinfulness wants to do. And all of this that I'm saying is just simply validated by the word of the Lord. He said all of what we are seeing in our current climate is going to happen. He said that. He told us. This should not be a surprise to us. He made it very, very clear. In fact, in Matthew 24, now, speaking both 
current time in history and also prophetically, and that's what Matthew 24 in this section is about, because this is right after Jesus talked to them about the destruction of the temple, and that certainly did happen in 70 AD. But he's also talking about time to come that's not yet come, even in our day. Matthew 24, 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all these things are going to happen. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to be coming right away, or they wouldn't have said that. They were looking for his return. We're looking for his return, but we're a couple thousand years away. We don't know when this is going to be fully, but we know that it's true. Jesus said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. The Lord, again, the Lord's words are very purposeful. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And we've watched that. We've seen that over the years. You'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, and boy, that's not foreign to us. See that you are not frightened, though, for those things must take place. Do you hear the Lord? Now, you and I look at things across the world, and we get a sense of timidity about us. It's a little unsettling. We hear talk of China growing in power and North Korea and in all these places. Russia's growing in power and, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? The Lord says, hey, don't be afraid of that. That has to happen. The Lord's plan is working. But the end is not yet, verse 6. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. You watch the Weather Channel and you go, wow, did you see, you hear that out there, tornado? Man, they don't usually get those out there. Well, the Lord says, hey, I told you, it's going to happen. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Now, here is when he begins to go into the coming prophecy of the time of the tribulation that we've not come to yet. He says in uh, verse 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. and You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away. You know what he's saying? There are going to be many that are going to deny him in that day. But they're going to deliver you, and they're going to kill you, and you're going to be hated, and some will fall away, and others will hate one another, and many false prophets will arise because lawlessness is increased. And aren't we seeing that? Most people's love will grow cold. We're seeing that. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And you say, Pastor, when are all those things going to be fully fulfilled? I don't know. I can't tell you that. That's what I was saying earlier. I just know that God has said this is the progression, and we shouldn't be surprised by it. He's told us, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. This is what will happen, so just be aware. What he has told us is that we are to remember that there will be an end to it all. There will be an end to sin. Isn't that awesome? I don't know if you think about that very often, but I like to think about that day. I remember my friend told me when my dad passed away, and I think he probably said this when mom passed away, is that he said, Bruce, he is forever free of sin. Forever free of sin. Never to be tainted with sin again. To never have to walk by faith, but now fully walking by sight. Can you imagine those days? You and I are here this morning walking by faith, aren't we? We're here because we say we believe in the God that wrote this book. But we don't see him. He's not here in our physical presence. But we believe him by faith. 
But there's coming a day where all of that's going to be ended and we're going to see by sight him face to face. In fact, this is prophesied back even in Zechariah's day in chapter 14. And here's another one of those prophecies like in Matthew 24 where there is the current situation happening and the preparation of what will come in the future. So Zechariah says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, speaking to Israel. And this certainly did happen. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem. That has not happened. There's never been a recorded time in history where all the nations of the world have come against Israel. But the Lord says that's going to happen. You know who that includes? America. If America is still around by then. We don't know the timing of all this. But this great land that we love and the one that we pledge our allegiance to, God is saying will come against Israel one day. This is why we're so excited when our leaders are in favor of Israel because we don't want to be a part of going against Israel. Because listen to what he says. They're coming to battle and the city will be captured and the houses plundered and the women ravished and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. Now listen, you all are smart people. We do not want to fight the Lord, do we? I mean, no, we do not want to fight the Lord. But that's what's going to happen to the nations that come against him. And the Lord has just said in verse 2, all the nations will come against Jerusalem. There's coming an end to this nation as we know it, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. And when he fights on the day of battle, in the day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in the middle from its east to the west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half towards the south. In other words, there's going to be a huge geographical disturbance here when Jesus literally comes to plant his feet in that region. And he says, you will flee by the valley of the mountains, talking to Israel, for the valley of the mountains will reach Ezel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. You see the back and forth there. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. Boy, what a day that's going to be. The land is going to grow darker and darker, beloved. God's told us. He has foreordained it. This will happen. In fact, we could just ask the question, what do you think is going to have to happen for that to begin to occur? In other words, for God's fulfillment of prophecy to happen, what's going to have to happen to lead up to that? You see, I don't think there's going to be just this all of a sudden just... America hating Israel. No, that's a growing progression. And the more that progression grows, the more we will grow towards those days. And so we're looking at our culture now and we're of all the craziness that's going on and we're understanding that, okay, starting to see it. What do you say, pastor? So when's it going to be? Tell me so I can make sure I've gone to Sam's and Walmart that morning. So I'm stocked up. I can't tell you that. I don't know when that's going to happen. But we know that it is going to happen. Governments are going to change. Laws are going to change more in favor of ungodliness. We shouldn't be surprised by that. It's going to happen. The voice of the righteous will become less and less heard in the voices of places of decision making because the world's mind, as we've already learned, is blind to the truth. They don't want to hear And they love it, in fact. John 3, 19 says, this is the judgment. In other words, God is saying, you want to know what the judgment's all about? Here it is. 
that the light, Jesus himself, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Here's why. Sin loves darkness. Loves it. Loves it, loves it, loves it, loves it. Does not want to be exposed. Okay? So the reason they don't want to hear you and me proclaim the truth is because they want to live in their darkened state. They don't want it to be exposed. How many times have you felt the fun of sin? Sin is appealing, it's alluring, it's drawing. It reacts with all of our emotional state and mental state and it pulls us in like a whirlpool. We don't want somebody to tell us to don't do that, don't say that, don't be like that. That's anti what the world wants because as Jesus says here, the world loves its sin. Listen, that was us, wasn't it? You and I were right there. Before Christ came into our hearts, we loved the things of darkness. We loved the sinful things of the world. And we didn't want anybody to tell us any differently. Here's another thing. Positively, Satan has already been judged. That's awesome, isn't it? To know that no matter what he conjures up or what wicked web he spins or how he tempts or distracts or manipulates, he's already the defeated foe. He's already been removed from his power in that sense. John 12, 31. Judgment, Jesus says, is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Hear what the Lord's saying? Judgment is upon this world. The message of the Bible, beloved, is God has come to rescue from his judgment. But judgment is already upon the world, so you better listen. That's what the prophets have always said. That's what the scripture speaks over and over and over again. Listen, listen, listen. Open your ears, open your hearts because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, judgment is coming. The Lord is coming back. He's going to judge all unrighteousness. But the good news for you and me, if we're believers, is that Satan has already been judged. God has already done that. In John 16, 11, the ruler of this world has been judged. So in light of all of that, we've already alluded to this a little bit, but in light of all of those things, we don't need to be afraid. We've got to remember that. We don't need to be afraid. In fact, Paul told Timothy, now listen to the context. You remember last week when we talked from 1 Peter and who was in charge? Nero was in power and he was that ruthless dictator in Rome at the time persecuting many, many Christians. Well, Timothy was a young man who was left in Ephesus by the Apostle Paul to lead the church in Ephesus. But Timothy was getting a little bit uh, overwhelmed by all that was happening in the culture. He was beginning, even as a pastor, to feel the pressure of the Roman pagan world coming against them in persecution. And so Paul, understanding his heart, says to him in verse 7 of chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, Timothy. That word timidity means fear or anxiety or anxiousness. So when you're fearful, understand that's not of God. God has not given us that kind of spirit. This is a great proof text for why you and I can say when we're afraid, this is not of the Lord. God never puts fear into the heart of his people. Now, he will put fear into the heart of those that are not his. 
But for his children, he is always doing the drawing effect. Now, he may allow us to go through some circumstances that cause us to pay attention to our lives. But the reality is he's not going to cause us to be fearful in the sense where we want to run from him. He wants us to run to him. And so the Lord says through Timothy to us, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the persecution. Don't be afraid of the world growing darker and darker and darker. You be God's man because God has called you. Here's what God has given you. He's given you power. Same verse. Love and discipline. Some translations say a sound mind. That word means healthy mind. Sound is from the Greek word that we get pharmacy from. It's a healthy mind. God has given to you a healthy mind. That's why you're able to think and reason rationally. But the unsaved world has none of that ability. So the question in all this is really not if it happens, but when. That's the real question. When is all of this going to happen? When is the world going to grow darker and darker and come more and more towards us? Well, we're already saying that. That's already happening. I've said so many times over the years, beloved, you've heard this to the point where you just probably block it out. And that is, this is not a game. This is not a game. Honestly, if you're a true believer, you do not come to church. You do not take part in the things of this life as a Christian because you believe this is some kind of fun event. You do what you do because you know in your heart God has called you to the truth. That's why you do and are who you are if you're a true believer. And you follow him without question, because you know eternal life is at stake. We're not just talking about some unsolved mystery here. We're talking about eternity. Eternity. And so we say, Lord, when is this going to happen? Well, the question is not when. The Lord hadn't told us that. What he has told us this is, you need to be ready. Am I your Savior? Am I your Lord? Are you going to look forward to me coming back? Are you kind of saying, Lord, I kind of hope you don't come back so soon because you're still in love with your sin and you want to follow the things of darkness? Beloved, listen, he's coming back, okay? You write that on my tombstone if you want. Here's what the preacher kept saying. He's coming back. He is coming back. I sound like a broken record a lot of times, and I feel that. I feel like I sound like a broken record, but the reality is he's coming back and he's coming back to judge unrighteousness. In fact, Jude chapter one, if you were in our Wednesday night class, you remember this. We learned that he's coming back to judge all those who oppose him in his word. Verse 14, it was about also these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, and we're talking way, way back. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. What's he talking about? Well, holy ones there is probably referring to angels. And in the time of the flood, God came with his holy ones, the angelic host, and destroyed the entire world to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way 
and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, what makes that relevant for us is that even though Jude is pointing to Enoch thousands of years prior to him, Jude is bringing it out to talk about the subject he needs to talk about. And if you look at the book of Jude, there's only 26 verses there, I think it is. In the whole book, he's pointing out that there, in our current day, Jude's current day, even thousands of years ago, there are ungodly men who are growing more and more and worse and worse. And God is going to judge these men just like he judged the world. And the simple message is, folks, listen, the church needs to understand that God is a God of judgment. Well, people say, I don't want a God like that. Well, all I can say to you is you don't want the God of the Bible. You want another God. The God of the Bible is a God of love. Yes, he's a God of mercy. Yes, he's a God of grace. Yes, but he is also a God of judgment. He will judge unrighteousness. You can't have one without the other. But that's what the world wants. I'll take God all day long. We'll establish and erect our house churches in the nations and be the national church. And that'll be the God of love. And you can just find your love there. Well, God says, yes, I will love you after you repent and turn to me. In Matthew 13... Jesus, again, just as there are tares are gathered up and burned with fire as he's speaking to the disciples, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is speaking future. In Matthew 25, just a chapter later from what we looked at a minute ago, he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Beloved, listen, there's two, two groups. The unrighteous and the righteous. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? And how do you know that you belong to one or the other? If you're stuck in love for your sin and the darkness and you love the things that occur in the darkness, then you're of the unrighteous group. If you're one who loves the things of God and the righteousness of truth and holiness and purity and godliness, then you're of the righteous who belong to God. And God is going to separate those two groups. What we need to do is to make sure that you're on the right side. That's the message. You heard this from Peter last week if you were with us. 1 Peter 4, it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Peter straight up is saying, listen, it's hard at times to be righteous. It's challenging. We battle our flesh. We find it, fight it in our minds and in our hearts and our, our feelings, our emotions all the time over and over again. We're pulled in all kinds of directions, sinfully tempted. And so Peter's saying, listen, if it's this hard for us, gosh, how drastic and devastating is it going to be for the ungodly? It's the message of judgment. Don't be surprised when the wicked grow in number. Just make sure that you're not counted with the wicked. 
And really, that's the glory of the gospel. The gospel's message is you can be saved from the judgment of God. You can be saved unto righteousness. And one day you're going to be with him forever free from the condemning work of sin. Praise his name for that. But those who refuse, Revelation 21, verse 8, the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters. And that's a group in itself, isn't it? But listen to who he includes. And all liars. Their part will be part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, this may be an all-inclusive group, but I don't think so. I think the Lord is including a great sweeping group of people here who live their lives consistently this way. All of us have been tempted and at times fallen into the sins that have been mentioned here. That's not God's point. He knows we're but the dust of the ground, as as Nehemiah said. What he wants us to understand is that if you live your life consistently under the darkness of these kinds of things and more, and you love it, and you want more of it, then that's a great indication, if not the telltale proof, that you belong to the darkness. And you need to be rescued. You need to turn your life to Jesus, the rescuer of our souls. That's why he came. Beloved, listen. Those of you who belong to Christ, you've lost nothing. The more you swing the sword of righteousness, the more you've just honored the king. Because his word is true and he is going to fulfill every single bit of it just like he has promised. Whether we choose to believe it or not, he is going to come and he's going to make all things right again. You have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. You belong to him. You've already won the battle. I should say the war is over. The battles are still being fought, but we have won the war. Isn't that awesome? The war is over. And so now what we're to do is we're to display God's godliness, God's holiness, God's purity. That's our role. Our job is to do good to all people. In fact, that's what Paul said to the church in Galatia, churches in Galatia, so then while we have the opportunity, in other words, you only got a set amount of time on this life, in this life. Let us do good to all people, especially believers, the household of God. We're to be the examples of doing good to all people. You say, all people? Yeah, all people. That's what the Lord's saying. In fact, he says, I want you to even pray for your enemies. Matthew 5, 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I said, pray. He's even saying love. I want you to love them. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. It's easy to love people that love you back. Do not even the tax collectors, speaking of those who were the most hated, do the same? If you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Talking about non-Jews or the unsaved world in word. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a high standard. But the Lord has said, listen, if if I've sacrificed my son for you, then the least you can do is obey me. And what I want you to do is I want you to love these people that you're so troubled by. Pray for them. And that's challenging, isn't it? Man, that's challenging. 
The Lord sets the bar very, very high. All these people that we watch on YouTube and everything else and the media and everything that we find becoming more and more nauseating, God says, love them. Pray for them. Why? Because they're blind. They're being drugged around in the snare of Satan. And they don't know it. Pray for them that the Spirit of God will open their eyes, that they may see the truth. Paul then says things like in Romans 12, Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. I don't know about you. But sometimes I find myself, I was just telling Debbie this the other day, sometimes I find myself picturing in my mind standing behind Jesus. And I'm going like this. <clears throat> Get him. You know, just kind of wanting him to just throw a punch kind of thing. That's my sinfulness doing that because I want retribution, right? Jesus is saying, I want you to pray for those and, and be at peace with those. But understand, I get you. I think Jesus is saying to each of us, to, our, to his children, I know your hearts. I know how frustrated you are. I know how much this world bothers you. I got it. I got it. My vengeance will be something like the world could never even dream possible. Never even dream it. If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that was just a euphemism, really, to say they're not going to be able to handle it. I mean, it's going to be way too much for them. It's going to be like something outside of their mind. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? Because I'm going to take care of it. I am going to take care of it. So you just occupy your space in life until I come, and you live out your graces that I've given you until I come and do what I need to do because I want you to be my examples. You are to be an example of who I am. I saved you so that you would be me to the world, standing for the truth, sharing the gospel that will rescue souls from darkness because some people need that. They need to be rescued. Now here's a tough one. We are to, in the midst of all this, submit to the government. We're to submit to the government. Paul made that very clear in Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Even to ungodly government, government we don't appreciate or government that we may not agree with, we are to submit to that government until that government begins to dictate to the church to go against the word of the Lord. In whatever way that may look like. But even then, we are to always pray for government. We're always to pray. In fact, Timothy, again, Paul wrote this. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, right? So that we'll live a peaceful life. We want peace. We are peacemakers, but we are to be those who proclaim the message of peace that ends up being interpreted as a message of fighting, which it really is not. It's a message of rescuing. It's a message of salvation because the judgment of God is coming. And so you and I are to pray even for those that are in leadership. But there are also, all there are also times where we are to stand against what that government may say. Not through clubs, not with swords, not with 
burning things down or destroying things. That's not what we stand or how we stand. We stand on the truth of God. We minister the gospel. Even when the government says, no, be quiet. No, we say, Lord, we're going to follow you instead. We meet. We worship. We express the truth. We say what needs to be said in love and grace and mercy. That's still standing against the tide. But we do it in a righteous way, in a loving way. Because we remember that Christ is ultimately in control. Right? We know we're under a temporary government. Isaiah 9, 6, For a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. How about that? The government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And listen to this, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know what the Lord is saying through the prophet thousands of years ago that has not, by the way, happened yet? Is that there's coming a day where the Lord Jesus Christ will come to this earth and he will sit as the ruling monarch over the entire world. He will do it. He will do it. I don't know how the infinite mind of the Lord works and how he will judge all that he will judge, but can you imagine a society, and this is referring to the time of the millennium, that thousand-year span of time, when the Lord himself will make perfectly righteous decisions even when those that are still sinful during that time will rebel against him. Yet the Lord will, with assurance and great confidence in himself, bring about justice and righteousness forever. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to the disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You have to listen to these words carefully, beloved, and absorb them for what the Spirit is saying. All authority. All authority. You say, well, I thought Joe Biden was going to be the president. Okay. He is. But guess who's the ultimate authority? The Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think for a second that the Lord Jesus is not in full control of Joe Biden or anybody else. It doesn't matter what country we're talking about. The Lord Jesus is in full control. That's what he says, the Father has given me all control. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular who may or may not be an enemy. That's not my place to judge that. In fact, that's going to be our message next Sunday. Unless the Lord says to do something different. This will flow right into that, actually, to not judge. That's what Jesus is going to talk about next time. Revelation 19, 11, I saw heaven, the heavens opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. Why does he do that? Because he is the God of justice. He is coming to judge. And in his judgment, there will be war. 
because there will be those that will continually fight against him. This is talking about, if you remember from our study in Revelation, the time after, or just to the very end there, just before the millennial reign begins. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Folks, that is our God. That's our God. That's our Lord. The one who is in full control of all things. Listen, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged with righteousness. Don't be discouraged with proclaiming truth. Because our Lord has promised to us all these things and he wants us to remember them and keep them tucked away deeply in our hearts so that when we need it most, the Spirit of God will recall these truths to our minds so that we will remember that our God will reign eternally. How about that? Praise his name. Listen, we've lost nothing. We've lost nothing. And again, I'm not talking about any particular subject. I'm talking about the fight against darkness. Sometimes it gets very, very challenging to continue to wield the sword and feel like you're getting nowhere. Souls are not being rescued. People are not being baptized. The church is not growing. More and more are falling away. And by the way, the statistics are starting to show now that those who are watching online are dropping drastically. The numbers of what once were there, and I'm not talking about here, but necessarily, but the people who have been watching online when all this COVID started are dropping drastically. Why? Because people are easily enticed away and the greatest group are the millennial people. They're falling away. Why? Because people need to be together. We need to follow what the Lord says. We do what the Lord tells us. And we believe in what God has said. So we haven't lost anything, beloved. We have gained eternity. And that's what we're to focus on. Don't get lost in this life. Don't get lost in anything else but Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. We have a special treat this morning. Uh, Chloe and uh, Missy are going to come and share with us a beautiful song here as we use this as a time of meditation as we prepare our hearts for communion. Today is Communion Sunday. And so I pray that in, in this time, I ask you in this time, that you would just kind of silently in meditation examine your own hearts. Remember the truth of what God has shared with us, but also begin to ask yourself, if you're questioning, if you're on the fence, if you're not sure about your stand in your place with Christ, now's a good time to ask him where you stand. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. He's really good about that. He knows how to pluck the very specific cord to show you where you stand with him. If you'll just open yourself, he'll be obliged to do that. So let's go to him in prayer right now, and then we'll take our communion.
received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you go ahead and take part in that? Just tear that little piece of paper off of the cracker side there and take part in that. As a reminder to yourself that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, who gave his body for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So take part in that now. It's important to hear the rest of what Paul wrote here, always as a reminder. Therefore, and that is because of what he has just said, because of what Christ has done through his body and through his shedding blood, shedding of blood, he says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Do you know who that is or what that is? That would be those people who don't really believe. Those people who are just going through the motions. Those people who have never really committed their hearts to Christ shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ, the, bloody, the blood of the Lord. I don't think there's anyone who really wants to be guilty of the murder of Jesus. But a man must examine himself, and so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. God is coming back, beloved. And his message will be that of judgment. The first time he came, he came to rescue. But when he comes, he's going to return as the lion of the tribe of Judah not the prince of peace that was born in a manger. And so his message to us is, make sure you know me. Make sure you've trusted me. Make sure you've given your life to me because I am the one who pays the debt for your soul. If not, I will come as your judge. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had here together and we thank you for your mercy upon those whom you've called to know you. We thank you for the privilege of having hearts and eyes opened so we know you as our God. Lord, our world desperately needs you. Our world needs to have their eyes opened. And you've chosen us to be the lights. You've chosen us to be the salt. And help us, Lord, in our respective places to go and be just that, not caught up in this world, remembering that we are citizens of your kingdom and you are our king, but obeying, obeying the laws of the land, obeying the principles in which you've set forth for us to love one another, even our enemies, so that we may reflect your glory, so the world may take notice of our God and be rescued. Help us, Lord, to do just that, we pray in the days ahead. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Lord's blessings to you all.